Ataxophobia. Anybody know what it is? No, you're not scared of taxes. That's what you would think. That's what you would think. Oh, it's a fear of something, right? I realized this past week I have ataxophobia, like self-diagnosed. All right? Ataxophobia is a fear of chaos, a fear or dislike of chaos, of untidy, or of, uh, of mess. Amen. All y'all are like, I knew something was wrong with James. <laughs> 17 years he's been diagnosed. Ataxophobia. When I, when I walk into a room, if it's messy, I have an internal reaction. You don't see it, but internally it's like, oh, and, you know, if it's messy enough, I'll turn around and walk back out. When I go to an event that uh, even though maybe it's had all sorts of planning and preparation and stuff, if it doesn't seem like it's organized, if it doesn't seem like it's well communicated, if it doesn't seem like it's led well, I'll start breathing kind of heavy. I mean, this, is a, this is a legit phobia. I'm not scared of chaos. I just, I just really really don't like it. I like order. I like tidy. I like neat. I don't like chaos. So when I picture Jesus doing his ministry, I picture it calm and serene. (laughs) He's taking his nice jaunt along the Sea of Galilee Right? The, the people, the crowds, they're in, they're in nice lines, waiting their turn to talk to Jesus calmly, quietly. And when I picture the disciples and Jesus eating dinner together, oh, I picture Judas raising his hand and saying, Matthew, could you pass the hummus, please? <laughs> picture Jesus on a mountainside holding a lamb with Jan playing quietly in the background. (laughs) Mm. If you ever work with sheep, you know that sheep and quiet in the same sentence don't work. Right? These are the mental pictures that make my soul sing. But when you actually open the pages of the story of Jesus, you realize this was not a life of calm and quiet. And you realize Jesus probably did not have a taxophobia. In fact, the text that we have today, chaos reigns, uh, disorder abounds, and there probably wasn't a peaceful moment to be found anywhere. So just a heads up, as I'm preaching this text, if at any point, you know, I'm, I'm on a chair, I'm starting to go like fetal position and ears like, and I'm coming Enya, just, just wait, because I'll come back out of it. This is, this is a challenging text for someone with ataxophobia. Sound good? Let's pray. God, this morning is yours. Do with it as you will. Amen. Grab your Bibles, your phones, your apps, whatever you use to get to God's Word, and turn to Mark chapter 3, verse 7. We are in the throes of a sermon series that we've titled Offensive Christianity. Who's in, who's out? And in this series, we are taking a nice, long, slow walk with Jesus, looking at who he lets into his world, into his immediate sphere, who he welcomes into conversation, who he engages with. Today, as I dove into our text, I found that it was less about who Jesus welcomed in, but what he welcomed in. An atmosphere, 
a tone, a quality of his surroundings. Ultimately, I see Jesus welcoming in chaos. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from the east of the Jordan River, and even as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Vast numbers. Another day, another walk, another crowd that follows Jesus. These places that are listed in here, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from the east of the Jordan River, as far north as Tyre and Sidon, they, they represent all of Israel and its immediate neighbors, which is just a, a, an accurate way of saying everybody came out to see Jesus. The masses and masses came out to see Jesus. If, if we're just going to be honest with each other, I'll self-diagnose again. I'm a little bit agoraphobic also, which is a dislike of large crowds in small spaces. My son turned 16 this past Tuesday. Everybody say happy birthday really loud to J.J. Happy birthday, J.J. Great. We asked him, what do you want for your birthday, right? Normal 16-year-olds would say, I want a car, Dad. He says, I want to go to Silverwood, Dad. <laughs> Not just Silverwood, Scarywood. Oh, that's the closest thing to doing a puzzle in hell to me. Sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody. A puzzle in Sheol or in Gehenna. Last night with JJ and three of his friends in the car, I drove them to Silverwood. Abby was going to go pick them up at midnight, so I said, I'll, I'll drive them on the way there. It took me an hour to drive one mile before getting off of the exit because the cars were backed up two miles. We're in the dark in North Idaho. <laughs> in a line full of people, the car in front of us was shaking back and forth because the kids were having so much fun in that car. And I'm just, I'm looking at the lights of Scarywood. I'm starting to hyperventilate. I'm like, but you know what? The lines there, they have cues. And they have like bouncers at the beginning of each line to make sure that people are getting on and getting strapped in. And it's sort of calm. I doubt that it was like that in this day that Jesus had, that we're looking at. Okay, because we get to verse 9, and it says, Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He saw it coming, and he didn't run. Fellas, get a boat. Things might get a little bit dicey. But I have a plan. Verse 10. He had healed... Many people that day, so all the sick people either eagerly pushed forward to touch him. How many of the sick people? All. Say that with me. All. Jason, you didn't say it. All the sick people. Okay? Uh, a taxophobia, agoraphobic, and uh, some germophobic tendencies, right? I, uh, a line full of people sneezing, coughing, and oozing. Like, I'm out. I am seriously out, but it gets worse, okay? 
He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Hang on just a second. Crowds of sick people, sneezing, coughing, oozing, Demon shrieking, throwing people to the ground, and nobody can tell what they're shrieking about because Jesus told them, don't tell people who I am. This is madness. Amen, anybody? Amen? Also, if we had, if we had, had everybody say amen, I would have stopped right there, okay? But we didn't. I'm not sure if you saw in the news a couple of weeks ago, there was a soccer match in Indonesia. Uh, where there was two kind of overly excited fan bases that started taunting each other and things got chaotic. And in the chaos, like a stampede happened and over 125 people passed away. I have to wonder, was it ever that close in this text that that we're looking at? Jesus didn't shy away from this, right? He welcomed, he invited in the chaos. Grab a boat, boys, because this might get dicey. I want to keep going just because this is nuts. Verse 13 starts afterward. Go like this. (sighs) Afterward means that the sick people mosh pit had finished. Afterward, Jesus went up a mountain, and he called the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came with him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them to be apostles. They were to accompany him. And he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the twelve he chose. Simon, who he nicknamed Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. But Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. We had a couple of sons of thunder on our freshman football team. Oh, they were big. Uh, Verse 18, sorry. Uh, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Oh, this is better, okay? Jesus is inviting in the twelve. He's inviting in a group of like-minded individuals to spend all their time with him giving them power and authority to do what he has been doing so that they can all take turns leading. It's like a 12, 13-man camping trip that never ends for three years, and Jesus says, you lead today, you lead today, you lead today. What could go wrong with that, right? Like-minded individuals. (laughs) Did you say that again? (laughs) Laugh with me. (laughs) I think Jesus is crazy. I think he likes the chaos because this group of 12 was anything but like-minded. Right? I tried to look up the Jesus website that had the pictures and bios of the 12 disciples, but I, apparently it was under construction. So I did a little digging around the other Gospels and around some historical sources. And uh, let me just tell you that it sounds like this group of guys would have always been at each other's throats. Like Always. If you've never heard this group explained, let me talk to you about at least 11 out of 12 of them, okay? First four on the list. We'll just, you know, we'll number them off 1 through 12. It's a good thing to do. So Simon, who Jesus named Peter, James and John, and Andrew. We've seen already in our text that they're fishermen. 
So they're probably in pretty good shape. They're probably pretty burly. They probably uh, are in pretty good shape. Um, and then you get a little further down to number seven, this guy named Matthew. Well, we haven't seen a Matthew in our text yet, but if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 3, you'll see that in his list of 12, he calls Matthew the tax collector. So therefore, what we've seen is that probably Levi in Mark chapter 2 is Matthew in this text, okay? So you track it with me? Four fishermen and a tax collector who probably collected taxes from the fishermen. Can you imagine the first time Jesus went inside the, you know, the nom-nom to pay for gas? <laughs> Simon's like, <clears throat> hey boys, Jesus is gone. There's four of us. We can take him. Let's get some of our money back. Come on. Well, Matthew, I would have been scared. Yeah? Who's next on the list? Anybody? Got your texts open? Number five. Starts with P-H and rhymes with Philip. <laughs> Philip. Philip. Good. Philip. Philip was from the same town as Peter and Andrew. Bethsaida. But the text doesn't mention that they were friends. So I had to ask myself, why was that? They cross town rivals? They play Little League against each other? Did they have an 18-inning baseball game that they lost in the final of the 18th inning and they just didn't want to talk to each other? Too soon? <laughs> sorry. Not sorry. Speaking of Philip, when Jesus first called him to follow him, this is in John chapter 1, he immediately goes and looks for Nathaniel, who most scholars believe is Bartholomew in our text. So listen to what is said about Philip in John chapter 1, verse 45. It says this, Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. From the minute Jesus said, hey, I found you, come follow me, Philip believed. No questions. He's just, boom, I'm in. How do you think he got along with Thomas, the guy who was nicknamed the doubter? <laughs> Philip's like, he's the one. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, can he prove it? I don't know if they would have had all that much to talk about. That's Bartholomew, a.k.a. Nathaniel. In our John 1, verse 47 text, when Jesus came to Nathaniel, he called him a man without guile. Man without guile. You know what guile is? I'll explain it. Guile is deception. So Jesus was saying, here's a guy with no deception, no insidious cunning, no duplicity. Bartholomew was a man of ultimate integrity. Put him next to a guy named Judas in this club of 12, who was the treasurer, and many people thought, well, he might be a little bit shady in some of his money dealings, and not to mention he later betrayed Jesus. Bartholomew had no guile. Judas may have had a little bit of guile. Speaking of Judas, put Judas and Peter in the same room, what happens? Oh, ho, ho. Right? Peter said, I will die for Jesus, and Judas like, betrayed him. Right? Peter would later go on and deny Jesus. We know the story, but I wonder if the 12 disciples, when they were ever having arm wrestling matches, if when Peter and Judas went at it, if things got a little bit crazy. Speaking of crazy, Peter, you ever stop to think about this guy? His, uh, his impulsiveness had to have gotten on the other 11's nerves at some point. 
Now, Peter's the guy that jumped out of the, well, stepped out of the boat when Jesus was walking on the water. Probably other loving are like, come on, man, don't make us look bad. All right? Peter's the one who pulled out a sword and chopped off the high priest's servant's ear when Jesus got arrested. Peter was the one who, uh, you know, when they realized it was Jesus on the shore in John 21, after the resurrection, Peter didn't wait for the boat to row him in. He jumped in and swam. Peter was always shooting his mouth off about something, and that had to get on the nerves of the other disciples. Are you sensing that there might have been some chaos in this group of 12? I'm sensing it. What about Simon? What was his nickname? He's number 11. The Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Here's a guy who was part of a fiery band of violent nationalists. It's a good thing we don't have any of those in our world today. He's part of a fiery brand of uh, violent nationalists who are willing to kill, murder, or assassinate anyone in order to free their country, Israel, from the oppressive hand of the Romans. A guy who's adamantly against the Romans. There's Matthew again, collecting taxes for the Romans. Jesus probably had to say, hey, you two, at least four guys in between you. Right? You imagine, like, Simon walking next to uh, Matthew, sellout, scum, traitor. I don't want to paint a bad picture of Simon, okay? Because he was zealous for the things of God. He wasn't just some backwoods hillbilly who flew an Israelite flag behind his camel to prove that his camel was bigger than your camel. Uh, Simon was zealous for the glory of God, and he didn't want anyone to take away from God's glory. At first I wondered, why would Jesus pick a guy like that? And then I started thinking about when Jesus made a whip and cleared the temple, John chapter 2, and what the disciples thought about years later in Psalm 69, verse 9, it says, zeal for God's house consumes me. And the disciples probably thought, Jesus and the zealot, Simon, I mean, they could both get along. Jesus the zealot, it's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Here's a head scratcher. James, son of Alphaeus. Who else had a a dad named Alphaeus? Look back in chapter 2, verse 14, not a trick question. Anybody? I'll wait. Levi. Thank you, Elena. You're on it today. Levi, the tax collector. Are these two brothers? And if they are, why isn't that mentioned? That'd be pretty cool to have three sets of brothers in the Club 12. It would be. I wonder if they are brothers and if uh, James disowned Matthew as soon as he switched to the dark side and started collecting taxes. Or I wonder if it's just sibling rivalry. Because sometimes, you know, siblings won't talk for a while. Or maybe, maybe they had the same dad, different moms. And in that culture, that wouldn't have been very, uh, it would have been frowned upon. Or maybe this is just two guys with two different dads whose dads have the same name. Interesting tidbit. The church in the West today believes it was two dads, one name, Alphaeus. The church in the East, so like the Eastern Orthodox Church, believes they were brothers. Doesn't matter. Because you get a group of 12 like this together, and it's chaotic. One final thing. Judas, right? Besides being the one that betrayed Jesus, he was the only one not from Galilee. 
Jesus and all the other 11 were from Galilee, not Judas. I mean, how many times did the 11 plus 12 look at Judas and think, wrong side of the tracks, bro? No wonder he was the one that ended up betraying Jesus. I look at this and it's like Jesus was inviting chaos into his immediate close-knit circle of friends. I mean, imagine a road trip with the 13 of them in a 15-passenger van. As chaotic as I imagine Thanksgiving dinner would have been for them, excuse me, Passover dinner would have been for them, Jesus had a reason for choosing these 12 and something worked. He said, hang out with me and then go and spread my mission. And we wouldn't be sitting here today if those 12 didn't do that. Amen? Let's keep going because the chaos continues. Verse 20 and 21. One time, so this is probably who knows when, a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months later. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Come on, family. We're going to come back to the family, but Jesus should have at least one safe space, one safe group of people who he can find solace in. We'll come back to them. Verse 22. But the teachers of religious law, in a lot of your texts it'll say the scribes, they had arrived from Jerusalem and they said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. First, the family's calling them names. Then the scribes are calling them names. I mean, what an accusation. Possessed by the devil. You know when names like this are being thrown around, things aren't neat and tidy. Things get a little bit messy. But Jesus doesn't turn tail and run. I mean, it appears that Jesus does not suffer from a taxophobia. Instead of checking out, Jesus engages. He invites them in, and he does so in a respectful way. He says, hey, fellas, come here. Let me talk to you away from everybody else for a second. Verse 23, Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. We're going to get there. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further, Jesus said in verse 27. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and to plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth, verse 28, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. Jesus told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. Jesus says, fellas, fellas, come here. Your your logic just doesn't make sense. You need to stop starting this chaos. Calm down a bit. I would have checked out days ago. I would have been in my own room with nobody else in my room listening to Jan play on the piano. It would have been fantastic. Not Jesus. He jumps right in. And then actually this last section, I actually see him saying something that would cause chaos. Verse 31 to 35. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and brothers and sisters, they're outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked around at those near him, and he said 
look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Have we for the first time seen Jesus finally keeping somebody out? I mean, he didn't let his mom and siblings in. Or was this just paybacks for them calling him crazy a couple of days before, right? He's out of his mind. I was talking to somebody last week after the service um, about the direction I was going with this week, and this person said, without solicitation from me, I tell you what, anytime my family gets together, it is chaotic. Can you relate? (laughs) Bill's like, yep, and he's sitting next to his (laughs) son-in-law. We know that Jesus loved his family. We know that he loved his mom. That was one of the last things he did while hanging on the cross was take care of her. So we can't say Jesus kept the, the family out. Ultimately, what Jesus was doing was pushing back on tradition here, pushing back against the ways things have always been done. He's, he's good at pushing back. We're seeing that. See, in that culture, family was taken as seriously as Sabbath-keeping. As seriously as the food laws. Family solidarity meant you were loyal to your ancestral heritage, and as such, you were loyal to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Mary, Jesus' mom, had piled in all the half-siblings, the brothers, the sisters, into the station wagon she had driven from Capernaum down to Nazareth to say, Jesus, you're, you're causing some bad name for our family. And Jesus says, Mom, there's something so much bigger going on. It's going to change everything. God's story, the way he talks about heritage that he's now writing, oh, it's going to look different. Verse 33 and 35 would have been shocking for the people to hear Jesus say. And when shocking occurs, it's usually accompanied by chaos, by disorder, by messy. But Jesus didn't run from messy. He embraced it. He welcomed it. Last week after service, I was talking to Dorothy Ross, who was not the person I was talking about in terms of a chaotic family, just clarifying that, okay? She's not here to defend herself. It was not her. She was telling me, Dorothy, I know you're watching this later, uh, she was telling me she was offended by something I said the week before, which I was thankful she waited a week to tell me that. And then she told me that as she was sitting in the back last week, she heard the Lord say something to her, very specifically. And she kind of said it quietly because she didn't want to offend anybody else who could have heard it. She leaned in and she says, James, this is what God told me. All hell broke loose when I came to earth as Jesus. All hell broke loose when I came to earth as Jesus. That's what God said to Dorothy last week. Does that sound calm, serene, tidy? No. sounds chaotic. But if it's God-driven, God ordained, God supported, if he's calling me to step into the fire with him, then I think I probably should. Even with my mild case of self-diagnosed ataxophobia, I hope that my pursuit of Jesus far outweighs that and that I'm willing to step into the mess of walking with others as we all walk with Jesus. Because relationships can be messy, and yet Jesus kept walking with people. So is he calling us back to the chaos? And what does that look like? I'm not exactly sure for me. I'll ask him. You ask him the same thing. I'm going to pray. Tim and team are going to lead us in a song, and then I'm going to give you three opportunities, legit opportunities to step into some chaos. Let's pray.
Jesus, there are times when a text does my soul well. And there are other times when a text makes me uncomfortable. Seeing you welcome, seeing you invite in, seeing you engage the chaos, that pushed me. And I hope it pushes us. Because, Lord, the world we live in is full of chaos. It's full of mess. It's full of disorder. And you don't call us to be like to, to never engage. From what I'm seeing in the Gospel of Mark so far, if we're following your, your example, we are welcoming just about everybody in. And when we can get that many people in, it's going to be messy. So would you help us know, Lord, when to step in, when not to, and when just to trust you for the next steps. I ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.